wanted to bring a diverse group of Mississippi millennials together who are doing amazing things in their own spaces, but also understand that in order for us to progress as a state, we have to pay attention, we have to be politically okay. But I discovered everything that I, I could do elsewhere, I can do here. Uh, and not only can I do it here, I can have a, a, a far greater impact right here in my own backyard. I don't care. I've been all over the country and there is really no place like Mississippi. Uh, from the coast to the Delta, uh, you got three different type of grooves. <laughs> so much that I didn't know about Mississippi. So I didn't learn to fall in love with Mississippi until after I left. To, to have the type of conversations that people can be like, I, I, I trust Aisha, I trust Marcus, I trust Matthew, I trust Jasmine, and I can understand what they're saying. We we the round table. <laughs> we the round table. <laughs> I love that. Okay, so today on the roundtable, we have another special guest that we are excited to introduce to our listeners. But before we introduce her and dive into our topic for this episode, um, I got to say what's up to the other roundtable hosts who are joining us for this conversation. We have Jasmine and Marcus, who will also be moderating this discussion with me. Um, anything you guys want to say before we get started? Keep your mask on and wash your hands. I don't care what <laughs> your governor said. The Rona is still here. Period. Keep your mask on. Wash your hands. You we sanitize. still in the Ponderite. <laughs> I'm tired of this Panasonic. Okay. But other than that, be blessed. Um, you know, I'm not. I I don't even want to get sidetracked with with the governor and um, the latest shenanigans with the mask mandate, um, because there are other things that are important, um, but definitely <laughs> keep wearing your mask. Um, today on the po podcast, we wanna talk about something else um, that state, of, state leadership is up to, and that is House Bill 1439, which is the Mississippi Tax Freedom Act. This bill is kind of complicated, but basically one of the things that it does is take away the state income tax, which on its face, on its face kind of seems like um, something that might be good for Mississippians. However, I wanted to bring someone on the podcast who will really be able to break down this issue for us, to break down House Bill 1439 in a way that millennials can really understand its potential impact for our generation. So we invited policy analyst and fellow Mississippi millennial Kyra Roby to the roundtable to discuss House Bill 1439. And um, so before we get into that, I just want to give you a chance to kind of introduce yourself. Um, tell us, you know, where you're from, where you're from, what you do, um, and kind of um, a little bit about this issue and how you're the expert on it, because I know you are. <laughs> First, I want to say thank you all for having me here today. Um, I'm really excited to kind of talk about this issue. Um, a little bit about myself. I'm a native of Mississippi. I grew up in Madison, Mississippi. Um, I attended the University of Mississippi um, for undergrad where I studied international studies. And I attended the University of Mississippi School of Law. So I'm actually a licensed attorney. 
Um, all of my work, my background has been in nonprofit law and civil legal aid. So I've worked on a variety of issues, mainly criminal justice reform, but I've done some education stuff, some immigration stuff, a little bit of everything. Um, prior to joining One Voice, I actually worked for the United States Census Bureau for a couple of years where I was engaged in work around the 2020 census and helping Mississippi um, complete their census forms and get that back because that was really important. And now um, with One Voice, um, I am a policy analyst. So basically my work focuses on um, fiscal policy and issues around the state's budget and tax systems. But yeah, I did. I actually didn't know that you were a licensed attorney. It's so many times that um, I meet people who are doing policy analyst work or just other millennials who are in this space. And when I talk to them on a the podcast, I get the opportunity to learn so much more about them um, and the other things that they do and have contributed to. So that's really great to hear. Um, and I think Jasmine is going to jump us off with our very first question. So we're talking about a very complicated issue like income taxes and state policy or what state tax policy. And these are very like complicated topics. Um, but I think it's important for our listeners and millennials to understand like why this particular legislation is important. Um, and so I just want to know, like, from your perspective as an expert, why is this piece? What, well, why is this piece of legislation something that millennials should care about and pay attention to? Okay, I want to touch on like the first part about it being complicated. So, um, you know, it at first glance, it does seem kind of complicated. But if you think about it, like, um, like personally, I think it, it becomes less complicated. So part of my job is to make it a little bit less complicated for people. So if you think about it, like if you have a personal budget, which I'm personally not good at doing, but I know it helps. So if you have like a personal budget, and basically what you're trying to do is figure out like how much money you're bringing in from your jobs and where's that money going. And in terms of like your needs, your wants and what you want to invest in in the future. And so the state's budget kind of works the same way. The state brings in revenue from the federal government, from uh, state tax revenue and from other sources like licenses and fees and things like that. And that kind of creates the state's budget. And so then the lawmakers have to sit down and decide, okay, where do we spend this money? So you know that there are certain needs out there, like the state pays um, for its education system, like that money has to go somewhere. You know, there are some other wants, like we want to fully fund education. So that's kind of like a want. And then you have like these investment things that you want to see, like whether that be um, you know, affordable health care, affordable housing, Medicaid expansion, um, the earned income tax credit, like some of these other things that we may want to see um, that may not necessarily be a need, but they may help people. The state has to kind of figure out what it can do within its budget. And so that's kind of where the state's tax policy comes in. It, it really does show you like what the state's priorities are. And um, again, the money raised from taxes which nobody necessarily likes taxes on the space, but the primary purpose of taxes is to raise revenue and the revenue is spent on things that we care about, like education, like criminal justice, like healthcare. And so I wanna kind of, if we think about it in that way, it becomes a little less complicated. And then the only thing we have to figure out is kind of like what our priorities are and how do we voice those priorities to lawmakers. So what's important about this particular bill is that 
it takes away a lot of our wants. It will probably jeopardize our needs and it will make it nearly impossible for us to invest in the things that we want. And so the main tax proposals that I've been analyzing within this um, House Bill 1439 are the following. The first is the elimination of the state individual income tax. The second of which is the increase in the um, state's general sales tax rate from 7% to 9.5%. The third is the reduction of the state's grocery tax from 7% to 3.5%. Then there's a, an, uh, an increase in the cigarette tax of 50%, and there's some sales tax-based broadening that's somewhat important as well to the conversation. And so those are the main tax proposals that we've been analyzing. Of course, as you all mentioned, that this is a huge tax bill. It's 300 pages. Um, it was introduced on Monday. The House passed it on Tuesday. There's no fiscal note attached to it. So, you know, you don't know how much it costs and what the actual impact of it is. And so, um, again, when we're talking about what we need, what we want, and the investments, what we see basically is that this is another attempt to cut taxes, which Mississippi has done previously. Um, basically tax cuts for the wealthy. <laughs> um, and so this is just kind of like another version of that. But again, that elimination of the individual income tax makes it um, a little bit more concerning. Um, and again, when we're thinking about in terms of how much money comes into the state for all of the services and programs that we want to see, if we continue to cut taxes, particularly taxes on the wealthy, then what we're doing is basically funding the government from people who are like the lower middle income earners in the state, like people who have the least amount of money. And so that's not good. It's not, it doesn't provide for a stable economy. Um, it doesn't provide for growth, revenue growth, and doesn't provide for us to fund the existing services that we have. And again, it makes it impossible for us to invest in things that we want to see, like infrastructure, good roads and things like that. And so as, as a millennial, again, we're kind of in that, space to where we benefited from some of these services and programs like public schools, public education and things like that. And then now we're, we're trying to be a little bit more responsible and things like that. So now some things that we want to see done. And if we have children, like for instance, I have a four-year-old, like, you know, what does Mississippi look like for him? And plus, if we're staying here, which I'm sure, you know, I hear a lot of people, there's a lot of back and forth. I know I moved out of the state several times. I'm back home again. You know, if we're living here. We want to live in strong communities and, and communities thrive through these strong kind of like public service systems. And so we want to make sure that the communities that we live in are good, that the future is there for our children and for ourselves or for older family members that they get what they need as well. And so it really does kind of hit home for us in several different ways. But again, if we kind of take a step back and look at it from like a personal standpoint, when we have a budget, what do we want to see? What do we need to pay for then? And what are our priorities? Then we can look at the state budget system the same way. And we can see that some of the tax proposals that have been introduced, particularly in this bill can be harmful for us. That was so much great information, but there are a few things that really stuck out to me from that explanation. Um, and really that is the component around shifting um, from the income tax to the sales tax, which like you said, um, puts the burden on poor, 
poor working class families and poor working class folks to carry the burden of the state as opposed to it being a more shared tax program, which um, has equity as the actual priority, like you were saying, in terms of how is state leadership choosing to fund and budget certain things and what are their priorities? I think when you look at this tax bill and that simple, um, those things that you pointed out in making, um, taking the sales tax from seven to 7% to 9.5%, even with the growth grocery tax decrease, that's still going to be um, shifting the burden to folks who make less. Um, so I wanna go, that takes us right into the next question, which is, um, Mississippi really struggles significantly financially when it comes to how much we spend on education, um, how much we spend on um, human services, how much TANF dollars we give out, all of those different things. We have one of the highest poverty rates in the country. Um, so there are a lot of people within Mississippi who rely on certain services um, because, of, because of those factors. So from your perspective, why would the state want to cut income taxes in this way, given the fact that significant research shows that um, this uh, poor families or families in low-income low communities would bear the brunt of this sort of shift? Yeah, I'm going to answer that question, but I want to talk a little bit about like the background of all of that. Like You mentioned the okay. equity argument. So what we see is, so we know the historical kind of background of Mississippi, right? in terms of inequities. We're talking about racial, socioeconomic, all that kind of stuff. What we see is, and we see this like in many other states, so this isn't unique to Mississippi, but it kind of gives some background on kind of why we continue to see this happen, is that after uh, state and local taxes are taken, income inequities deepen. And so we know again that the state's tax system isn't necessarily, doesn't create inequities or it had, doesn't cause it because Mississippi has a long history of it, but it, it is a contributing factor. And so Mississippi actually has like a history in bad tax law. So for instance, um, Mississippi had one of the first supermajority requirements. And so we learned about that um, this past um, election cycle. But um, during that time, that was um, that was a time in where some of like the, the, um, the votes in terms of paying, uh, raising taxes, those kind of things occurred. And so um, the whole idea of raising taxes to kind of fund the government and who pays for those taxes um, and how those decisions were made in particular kind of started in Mississippi. The other law that was important is that Mississippi had the first modern sales tax. And so the whole purpose behind that tax was to shift the tax burden from the state's property owners who are majority white male landowners to consumers who at that time were majority black and less wealthy individuals. And so we see this history of the existing inequities that exist in our state. And then on top of that, a tax system that worsens those inequities. And again, that's kind of what this bill does. So when we talk about like why that happens, I think it's important to understand the historical context of it. Um, I like to point out that like taxes, tax system isn't race neutral, it's not gender neutral as well. And so we have to keep that in mind, um, you know, when we talk about it. And so, you know, why does this keep coming up? I don't, you know, 
I could speculate, but I, what I will say, and just kind of from what the data shows, is that this is happening across the country, and particularly uh, Republican-led um, states. And so we just see this idea, and I guess maybe it's because the idea of cutting taxes sounds good and it's popular, um, or maybe it's because of who these tax cuts benefit is why it keeps coming up. But it is something that, that we see, and I think if we keep in mind of like some of the historical aspects of the tax system, and then the idea of like who these tax cuts benefit, and so kind of asking quickly based on your uh, current analysis of the bill, who with the legislation absolutely that makes perfect sense the most, which um, we can guesstimate <laughs> poor working class people. Um, and who would it help? So I would say, first of all, it hurts everyone because of that revenue conversation that we had. So if we eliminate portions of the state's tax revenue, particularly the individual income tax, which makes up a third of the state tax revenue, um, about $1.9 billion, that hurts everyone because again, those services and things like that that we talk about are jeopardized and we can't invest in our future. The other thing that it hurts is that it hurts lower and middle income families. Um, and so what we see is from that combination of the elimination of the individual income tax, the increase in the sales tax, the general sales tax rate, the decrease in the grocery tax and the increase in cigarette tax, basically the bottom 60% of income earners in the state end up actually paying more in taxes. So the total taxes increase because of this bill. The top 40% of income earners in the state will actually receive a tax cut. And um, if we look at it, so for instance, the lowest 20% of income earners in the state, which is an average of about $11,000, um, they would see a tax increase of a little over $200. For um, the average Mississippian with a median income of $45,000, they would see a total tax increase of about $30. So it wouldn't help them at all. The top 1%, on the other hand, of the state's wealthiest would actually receive a tax cut of over $31,000. And so again, we see this disparity in terms of who benefits and who the tax harms. I'd like to point out that this data was produced um, by the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy upon request from us. And again, it analyzes just those things that I talked about. Again, this was a large tax bill that included other tax proposals like a, um, uh, an increase in the state sales tax base. And so it's kind of hard to analyze it in totality. Again, there was no fiscal note at all, but just from those things that we talked about, we see again that the wealthiest um, end up benefiting more. Yeah, I mean, to some people listening, $200 might not be a lot, but it adds up and it, it definitely is. So um, what are some examples of like the long term effects? I know you said you had a four year old. Um, what with this um, income tax um, cut, what would be some long term effects that you think would um, happen to the state? what would happen, what would it look like when he turns our age? So some of the long-term effects in the state. So again, when you think about 
um, the economy as a whole and who saves from this, this tax bill and who is harmed. So for instance, when you have wealthier income earners that save that amount of money in taxes, one, they just already have more money to spend or whatever they want to spend. And what we see from some of the data is that wealthier individuals tend to kind of hold on to their savings. And so that money doesn't get refunneled into the economy. When you have lower and middle income individuals, on the other hand, who actually have to spend more in taxes, that means that they have less money to spend on necessities, on the things that they need. And it doesn't allow for any other savings from any other tax proposal to get funneled back in the economy. So it actually overall weakens the state economy. A weakened state economy um, is just not good because again, the state can't pay for its bills. It can't pay for the existing services that we have. And we see that most of the state's tax budget or most of the state's budget spent on education. So that's likely to be the first kind of service or program that would get cut. Kind of the next big pot of money that the state spends its money on is social welfare, which includes Medicaid and some of the healthcare aspects. So when you think about like a healthy Mississippi, I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, <laughs> you think about money getting cut from the state's budget on that, you know, that could be problematic. The next big chunk of money is the criminal justice system. Um, and, you know, public safety. When you think about these programs and services, you know, as a whole, and when we're thinking about strengthening communities and we're thinking about strengthen, strengthening working class families, a good education system helps working class families. It helps lower and middle income individuals kind of lift their way up. You know, a healthy community, you know, one where you have rural hospitals and you can have affordable health care. And that just kind of betters all of our lives. We have um, a good criminal justice system. It makes our neighborhood safer, but it also reduces disparities that occur because of the current way that the criminal justice system, especially for black and brown men. Um, and so, you know, you don't want to harm that anymore. And so if I think about like my four-year-old and what kind of Mississippi he would grow up in as a result of continued tax cuts. And you basically see one in which, you know, isn't necessarily Mississippi that's thriving, that's viable for him, that may not, be, may not provide him the same kind of opportunities to have, you know, good education, um, to be healthy, to uh, not be a product of a, a bad criminal justice system, all of these kind of things. And so it really does matter to like the future in Mississippi about how much money comes in and where the priorities are and how it's spent and, and what these policies, these state lawmakers decide uh, um, about their priorities for our future. So basically it's a snowball effect of destruction. <laughs> basically. Uh, one service after another. Thank you for that. Thank you. Um, and so I want to know, like, in what ways can millennials and others um, engage in opposition to HB 1439? Like, what can we do to keep this from passing? So one of the things that's kind of unique about this particular test bill, like I said, this isn't the first time that, for instance, income tax elimination has come up in the state, or this isn't the first time that state lawmakers have introduced, like, large tax cuts. But what was kind of interesting about this particular bill is that it had a broad base of support. And so it had a broad base of uh, Democratic support along with Republican support. And so what we want to do is just, um, you, know, uh, you know, one voice is a 
um, nonpartisan organization. So we're talking to everybody. Well, one of the things that we want to do is make sure that we educate our lawmakers about why this is bad. <laughs> um, and, and I think maybe it's because, again, sometimes uh, tax and budget policy can be a little uninteresting. It's not the sexiest thing for them to kind of debate about, or uh, maybe they don't think like their constituents are as concerned about it or as aware of like what the impact is. So what we're actively trying to do, for one, is educate lawmakers about it. There's so much um, that, you know, as a whole, we don't know about tax and budget policy. So if you see something like a tax cut, you know, we want them to go deeper. If you see a bill like this to where there is a grocery tax reduction, which is one of the good things about the bill, like, you know, Mississippi has the highest, I think, grocery tax um, in the nation. So we see like a reduction of that. That is a good thing. That is a good thing for working families. But that within this 300 page bill that includes all this other bad stuff, it exits it out. And so, again, we want to make sure that our lawmakers are aware of, of some of the things that are going on and, and that they are aware of the, the total impact that all of this has on families. So that part is being engaged in the political process, which, too, I think. Um, you know, as a generation, I think, you know, overall, I think we've seen an increase in, in that. Um, and that's something that we want to continue to encourage, but encourage again with fiscal policy matters. The other thing is just to talk to communities as well. So part of it is educating the community why, why it's a bad thing and just to get garner support. So, you know, maybe if our lawmakers don't think that people care about it, then, you know, maybe it's, it's not as big on the radar as something that is harmful. So we want to be educated about these things as well so that we can make sure that we're voicing our opinions and that they're aware of kind of what our priorities are. And so I think overall, by taking a bigger stance on like what we would like to see for Mississippi and being able to explain that to the people who are able to have a hand in what that is, and then being able to be engaged and change the political process of it, I think that's really, really important. I think all of those things are definitely critical for us as well, especially because like you were saying, a lot of times fiscal policy um, isn't really one of those bills that's gonna show up on your radar. However, it is one of those things that probably has the most impact, especially as we think about the infrastructure issues that have come up to surface here lately, but for a while in Mississippi, um, education issues, healthcare access issues, all of the issues that we know require money and resources, um, which make this, this tax policy bill so, um, so important. Um, which is also brings to light why it's so unfortunate that this 300 page bill was just like one day for people to even do the amount of research that you all have done on this particular bill, which is really great and helpful um, for working class families in Mississippi. So kudos to you all for that. Um, but we wanna switch gears a little bit and just, um, you know, we've talked about the bill, we've talked about its generational impact, some of the other negative impacts that it could potentially have on families. Um, but what does it mean to you personally um, to be a leader working on these issues that um, impact our generation, but also the generations that are gonna come behind us like your son here in Mississippi? Uh, to be honest, I haven't really thought about it in that way. Like I said, I've always just kind of been interested in human and civil rights and things that impact people or impact our community. 
Um, as I mentioned earlier in um, undergrad, I studied international studies and kind of had an opportunity to travel a lot. And one of the things that I always hear is, you know, you're doing X, Y, and Z here. Why don't you do that in Mississippi? Like, <laughs> isn't Mississippi struggling with these kind of things? And so I think a part of it is just being able, more than just, you know, working on these issues is to do it at home because there is so much growth. Um, you know, I think we see the potential or maybe it's just home for us. So, you know, you just kind of hold that a little bit more dear. And so I think more than just working on particular issues, it's just kind of better in Mississippi. Like if I'm going to be here, <laughs> why don't we help change some of these things um, and just be impactful in whatever way that we can, basically leaving Mississippi better than we found it. And, um, you know, just seeing things around us and just knowing that we have the capabilities to make some kind of change. I love that. I love that. And that leads into um, two, two things. Um, one is a question that we always like to ask um, folks who grow up here, or who are from here. Um, but the first is what advice do you have um, for other folks, um, for anyone really who is looking to take leadership over certain issues in their communities? I would like to say, I mean, I would think that it just doesn't take much. Like I was seeing, you know, we were talking about some of the infrastructure issues and like the water issues in Jackson, like you buy water for people, you know? Like I, I think if, you know, if, if things are happening in our community and we just kind of sit back and let them happen, we have no room to complain about anything. Um, we just kind of, live life with all this stuff passing by. So I would say, first of all, it just doesn't take a lot to help make our communities better. And so whatever you can do, um, I would just say, do it. You can find something that interests you. Again, the thing about Mississippi is, is that it is so much work to be done. So you can kind of find your lane in anything. So you can kind of find a passion in anything that you do, whether it's like, you know, creatively, creatively, like in the arts, or you know, or anything, you you there's some way that you can impact um, the community. And then the other thing that I would say, um, particularly for people of color and younger people, is that I'm still at the table with a lot of people that don't look like me. <laughs> like it's still times, a lot of times where I'm like the only uh, woman, only black woman, only black person at the table talking about social justice issues, like things that disproportionately impact me and my family. And that's something that I would personally like to see change, especially in Mississippi. I think we have a strong voice and I think uh, specifically with like social justice issues, including tax and budget policy, it's important for us to be at these tables and to have a seat at the table or make a seat at the table. And then lastly, I would say to talk to other people because there are people who've done this for a long time. And um, like even when I talked to my mom, like she would talk about being a member of the NLACP in Madison um, years ago when she first got married or something like that. I mean, there's so many people around us who have been a part or some kind of um, fight or advocacy to change Mississippi for the better. And so there's a lot to learn from them. Like we're not far removed <laughs> from um, some of the things that kind of worry us. And then we see history repeating itself a lot. And so I think that there's value in talking to people who have been through it and um, have seen things. And then we can learn from them. We can um, take it um, 
take what we learn from them, add to it. And then we just kind of have so many other avenues like social media and things like that, that we can use to help us um, in the cause. So those are just some of the things that I would think about just getting involved and doing something and, and being actionable with our feelings and our concerns. I love that. And so the very last question is, um, could you talk about like one of your favorite Mississippi memories? Um, as a M Mississippi millennial, what would you say is one of your favorite uh, memories growing up here in Mississippi? Um, so I would say, oh, I feel like I'm getting old by answering this question this way. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say, um, so my family, my mom's family is actually from Holmes County. And so um, we have like a family house out there to where um, she has 10 brothers and sisters. So I have like a huge family. Um, and we would just kind of spend a lot of summers there, just kind of outside, like literally in the dirt, under the tree kind of thing. And since the pandemic, like a lot of my cousins, most of them live in Ohio. And so they've been like dying to come back to Mississippi. And I think for a while, that was kind of like, it was boring, honestly, for me. But now it's like, you just kind of like picking fruit from a tree, like just sitting outside, no worries, not having to worry about anything. Um, just all day being around people that you love, people that you know, um, having your children grow up around people that you know and people that you grew up with. Like for that's what matters to me now. And so my favorite kind of memories of Mississippi, just kind of being out in the field with four wheelers and picking plums off the trees and just doing letting the days go by and eating a lot and stuff like that. So that does feel like an old answer. <laughs> but you know what is so interesting because when we ask that question to folks on the podcast um it's always some version of that like just being with your people somewhere in the country um eating good food and just being able to enjoy each other's company and have that connection um and it's so interesting that a lot of people who come on the podcast say that because I think that's one of the best things about growing up here being here are those memories of just being with your folks in the middle of nowhere um, and really being able to connect. So thank you so much for that. And um, thank you for coming on the podcast. And I definitely would love to have you on again to talk about the other issues that you all cover at One Voice. Um, and to all of our listeners, please be sure to follow One Voice on Instagram. All of the information about the organization will be in the description box of the episode where you can learn more about the Millennial Roundtable. So thank you guys for tuning into this week's episode.